Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of blockbuster video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom and pop video store killer, the corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars who are in the know arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Talkbuster podcast. I have a very special guest for you guys today. A first timer hasn't been on the show before. Before I jump into there, a little uh, housekeeping. I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. That's Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, and Mark Price. That list is getting long, and I thank you guys so much. And my newest patrons, English Stew. John Vanals and Duncan Sinclair. The thing that's best about these patron names is when they don't use their real name and they use a name like English Stew and then they win something. And then I have to send, you know, to English Stew at some address. And I wonder if the postman is going to like, no, there's no one with that actual name. This is this is a fraudulent letter. Um, anyway, uh, this week's episode is a lot of them is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And now for my guest, someone who is not shy to the podcasting world, and you've probably heard him before on his other shows, I will let him introduce himself, sir. Say hello. Hello. My name is Joshua Schaefer. <laughs> And I used to work at Blockbuster. <laughs> and what? Um, but thanks for coming on. From, from what I've heard from um, a mutual friend of ours, Shamim Dana, who's been on yes. the show, um, this is the anniversary today of your last day working <laughs> for the company. It is. It's just weird that it happened that way, and I forgot about it until he asked me when I quit working there, and I was like, "Oh, January twentieth, two thousand ten, was my my last day at Blockbuster, and that that's today." <laughs> That's awesome. So it's, you know, these things can be, you know, out of order and, you know, off the cuff and tangenty, but you know, a funny place to start. Cause you sent me a funny letter about um, the day that you left and you yeah. left a lot. Le- what, what, what was your quitting letter? If you want to share that with the so, world, uh, let me find it here. Uh, the story, said, as it were. yeah. Um, it said, so my manager at the time, his name was art. And I said, art, 
I've been here for almost three years now. As much as I enjoyed being Superman at our store, I'm afraid it's time for me to go. So this is my notice. I am going to complete my Mondays for January, then no longer come in. Sad face. Unless I am renting, Josh. And I signed it um, January 2000, uh, 2010 on the 11th. That's awesome. So so I, 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 atten- I, I insinuate from Superman that um, yeah. you, you did a lot of heroic tasks and weren't thanked all that often for it. Is that a, a good assumption to make? <laughs> so our name tags that we had at the store, a lot of people didn't even have their actual name. And my nickname at the time was Superman. And so they put Superman on my name tag. And I just was Superman the whole time. So customers would just refer to me as Superman. Even after that, when I'd be at my regular job, they'd be like, hey, Superman. I'm like, hey, Blockbuster renter, because I don't remember them <laughs> at all. That's funny. Or even at the grocery store. I used to run to people all the time at the grocery store who come in the rent, and they recognize me as Superman. So, yeah, it's just that's just what <laughs> it's just what I went by. <laughs> that's funny. So so you just you were moving on and needed a different job, or was well, it like a... Because it was a it was a rough place to work at that time, from what I recall. But yes, so I actually I started working for the county in two thousand in the year two thousand uh, for my county's animal control. And come two thousand seventeen, uh, my wife and I needed some extra money, so I picked up a second job, and that's when I got hired at Blockbuster. But originally, they didn't want to hire me. I had a trading pass since the early two thousands um, when. I was getting VHS tapes and then slowly they're like, Oh, we didn't get that on VHS. It's only on DVD. And so then I decided to switch over to DVDs, even though I didn't want to give up my thousand movie VHS collection. I switched to DVDs and, uh, I used to go to the store almost every single day and it was the, um, Delta fair store in Antioch. And when I went to apply, it was at a, another store and it was like a, like an application day. So there were managers there and they would interview you there. And then a lot of people showed up to apply and then get hi- uh, interviewed on the spot. And I got interviewed and they didn't want to hire me because they said I was overqualified for the job. Cause I, I was 27 <laughs> at the time. I been working for the County for seven years and they were afraid that I wouldn't stay. Like there's no reason for you to stay here because you have another job or you could get hired somewhere else. But the manager of the store that I'd rented from all the time, I used to talk to her all the time when I'd go in because I knew a lot about movies and we just talk about movies and I would uh, give advice to people in line behind me of what movies to pick out. And so she told them, you need to hire this guy. He knows a lot about movies. And so they ended up hiring me and then I was there for three years. So it worked out good. <laughs> That's funny. It, I, I had a similarly interesting one. So when I left originally um, the company, I had been, made the assistant store manager of the store in Woburn that I worked in. And this was, this was around 2003, 2004. And I was in college. So I was working, you know, 70 hour weeks during a summer being the assistant store manager. And when I went back to school, I worked, you know, a Friday and a Sunday and that was it. So the company had a hard time making me an assistant store manager anyway with those hours, but they loved me. So they did it. And my, my boss pushed for it, but he broke his knee. And so I took on running the store and I kept reminding them, you know, when the summer ends, I got to go back to college. You need to bring someone else in because it looked like my buddy 
was going to take longer and longer to come back. And they brought in two trainee store managers to train under me, which was hilarious and strange. And they weren't very good at what they were doing. And the, the store became a giant mess. And instead of, you know, blaming it on them, they blamed it on my old boss even though he wasn't there so when he came back instead of getting his store back they sent him to a different store and I was back in school and I came to show up for my last shift or my last of three shifts and got in a car accident and I called and said you know hey I'm not going to be able to make it in tonight you know I got in a car accident I'll see you guys you know tomorrow but I have to go to the hospital oh we'll send you a cab what hospital are you going to be at a cab yeah, and I went, no, 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 I've, I'm in a car accident. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, like, if they're not, if they're going to let me out of the hospital. Like, I got some bruises and bumps and stuff might be broken or whatever. I'll see you guys for my next shift. And so they said, okay. And then the district manager called and said, so where, where are we sending a cab? You have to come into work tonight. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm never coming in again. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> Wow. I was like, that's it. <laughs> I was like, this is this is not the right place to be. That store ended up closing um, because they just didn't. It was like the district regional office. But so 2003, 2004, I took a year off from working, you know, there and was working in college. And a summer came along and the grad lab that I worked in was unable to get funding for the students to get stipends to work for the summer. So I said, well, I need a little extra cash and I was looking for jobs and my buddy, Michelle, who was one of the assistant store managers I worked with, was running a store now. And she said, oh, would you be interested in coming back to work for Blockbuster? And I was like, well, if they'd have me, I didn't really leave on the best terms. And she goes, don't worry about that. Would you be interested in coming back? And I said, yeah, but, you know, what am I going to do? I just need some extra cash. She goes, well, what were you making as an assistant store manager? And I told her and she goes, come back and be a, a, a CSR and I'll pay you that. She goes, I just I need you. And I was like, all right, fine. But when they tried to put me through the system, it kept rejecting my application because it said I was overqualified for, oh, wow. for a CSR position. It ended up working. And yeah. I ended up working there from like 2006 to 2009. Um, so what's interesting about having you on is that you cover a time period that, you know, most of the people I've had on were in the early 2000s. So you were there, what, you said 2007 to 11 or 10, 2010, 10. yeah. So, 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 so hit me up. How, how did it go? Okay. So my first day there was March 15th, 2007. Um, this was after the manager convinced him to hire me. And after I started, I was working 28 hours a week, um, on top of me working 40 hours a week at the County for animal control, which was a physically demanding job. I started there oh, yeah. at seven or nine worked all day. I would, have time between jobs to write my book. I was working on my first book then. And then I would leave my first job and then go straight to Blockbuster. And then I would work there for four and a half hours or five hours. And then I would go home at one in the morning. Um, I did that for two years. And then I switched to only working Monday nights. And then my job Mondays was to shift around the wall to for the new releases. Fast and night of the week. The new ones. Exactly, because I wasn't in charge of go-backs because I got to do the wall. So the go-backs just stacked up for the Tuesday people. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So what are some of the big movies you remember having to make an oh, asinine gosh. amount of space for? Uh, 
ah, shoot, what was it called? 1408 with John Cusack? Was oh, it? yeah. Yeah, okay. So the when Stephen that King came movie. out, yes, with the about the apartment. Um, when that came out, we had an entire like section for it on the wall. So it had all the rows and, you know, sections like, I don't know, five feet wide um, yes. for each shelf. I don't know how to describe it. A section. And it was the shelves from top to bottom. A bay. A bay. A bay. Yes, it was a whole bay. terminology. Okay. It was an entire bay just for that movie. And it wasn't that popular. I mean, people rented it. But then after two weeks, we got a destroy list, which is a very sad thing to do. I'm yeah. sure you do those. Um, we had a, this little teeny machine. It looked like a paper shredder, except you put the DVD through it and it put tiny little holes on it. So that you couldn't play it. And then we throw them away. Wow. You guys had one of those. See, that was after me. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I, when, we, when we had field destroys, it was mostly still being done for VHS when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the VHS field destroy was, you know, just put them in a trash bag and throw them in the trash and you better not take them or we'll come to your house and get you for stealing our property. <laughs> <clears throat> which, which, um, yeah. They, of course they were going to do that. And I don't have a ton of those videos. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, no, it's, it's interesting that they did that. I, I'm Cause I'm surprised, you know, it must've been that they were so dispensable at that point that they'd go straight for destroy and wouldn't even try selling them all. That's oh, funny. we had a bunch pulled for sale too, but there wow. was, I mean, we had 200 copies of it and we were the, the number, the, the, DVD numbers that we had to destroy because it would have the barcode, it would have the, you know, the, all the numbers that represent the movie and the name, and then it would have a dash and then like copy 108, 109, yes, 111. And so it'd say destroy disc number 120 and 121. And you, there's no rental history on these. These are brand new. They'd never even been touched. And then we were oh. just destroying them all but one, destroying them. <laughs> um, you know, some copies kind of might have made their way to people's houses, but still, we had to destroy those. And it wasn't just that movie. I mean, every single week we had a destroy list from oh yeah weeks, and it was it's a very sad thing to do. <sighs> I don't, I don't like that. Wow, part. <laughs> no, that was that that was always the worst. We would fight sometimes and just go, "Can we at least just put them up for sale?" And we'd try, and the system wouldn't let you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, we used to get the uh, – she was at the Weinstein movies. Yes. And we were the only ones that got them. So people had to come straight to us to rent them. Yep. And now all the problems they have with Weinstein. And it's just funny to think back that Blockbuster had an exclusive to their movies. <laughs> now, you think, think about that, right? Because like even in 2010, the general public was not as infused into – the um internet conversation as they are these days right the ad campaigns well facebook knew then still so right so but like you look now and you go everybody going in to see the rise of skywalker knew you know that the ad campaign was pushing that you know the directors may have been feuding and all this other crap and like they get the public in on the discourse now imagine working for blockbuster during this weinstein stuff Imagine all the questions you would have had to answer. Oh my God. Like, cause, cause people would come in and just say stupid stuff, right? Like they, they'd come in to rent a movie and you know, there'd be a controversy about it and they'd know the controversy, right. But they'd know it from like the 2020 special about it, you know, and yeah. they'd, 
so what's going on with this guy? I heard, you know, he's, you know, no longer respected or he did these awful things. And you're like, I don't know. I just rent the movies. Let's, let's move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny nowadays how like actors, the, the private lives of actors, directors, producers, how they affect the movie going audience now. Whereas before it wasn't a thing like, Oh, I don't like that actor because they don't recycle. And so I don't go see their movies. Okay. Right. I, I see these movies because, you know, I like the acting and the type of movie it is. It's it's just weird how people will do that now. Well, and my brother uh, joked, and I haven't had him on this show yet, but we, we worked a lot together. I, I run a different show with him, but he said how the one of the best parts about being an employee for Blockbuster is you, you know, you'd get like, people that weren't so great to, to deal with as customers, but you'd get those people that like hung on your every word because you were their portal into that, whether, <laughs> uh, yeah. whether it was before the internet was a big deal, which was, you know, the early 1999, two thousands, that's when the internet movie stuff really took off. But your regular general movie going person probably only heard of rotten tomatoes. And that was brand new right then. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't have heard of ain't it cool news or any of these places where all of this discourse was happening. So it was, it was fun to be that guy that could be like, Oh no, you know, you may not have heard of this movie or you may not heard of this or, Oh, that director. Yeah. He's the guy that did this and this and this, but it's funny to think that part of blockbusters obsolescence now is because people just watch movies because they're there. And the people that want to know anything about a movie, they're not coming down to a local store to ask an employee about it anymore. They're just going to Google it, you know. And so it's it's a harder sell to say that that person to person experience is worthwhile anymore because people don't want it. And that's sad. Yeah, (laughs) because that was what I liked about the job. Yeah. Talking about movies. Right. I mean, yeah. Not not trying to sell something. I mean, yeah, we're talking about the thing you're going to buy, but. I, I wasn't interested in you buying it. I was interested in telling you how much I liked it, how much I knew about it. Yeah. You know? Or if you like this actor, you might like this movie that they were in. Remember when Blockbuster used to have that on the boxes? Yes. Yes. That even went away after a while. The, yeah. If you like this, let us recommend these three favorites that have similar actors and directors. You know? We used to have that with the, the the on the wall. We'd have a section. So like if a new release came out, and it was Pirates of the Caribbean. We'd also put the first two Pirates of the Caribbean next to it, and some other Johnny yeah. Depp movies, <clears throat> or Jeffrey Rush. You know, any any other actors who were in the movie, we'd also put some movies, and they, those would take up like two shelves of the 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 bay, and then uh, that the rest would be the new release. Now you said you worked for the store in Antioch. Is that what you said? Uh, okay, so my store that I used to rent at was uh, Delta Fair in Antioch. And when I got hired, they put me at Atlantic Plaza in Pittsburgh. I was only there for three months before they closed the store. So we had a destroy list that had thousands of movies on it. And we had to destroy everything. And my collection at home grew by 400 movies, which was weird. And yeah, completely unrelated. You just, <laughs> you know, completely what? Unrelated. You, saw, you saw these titles and was like, you know what? That reminds me of that movie I need to go and legally buy. Yeah, and it, it's not like, you know, there was a bunch of us there and we were going one for you, one for me, one for you, one for you, one for me. It's not like we were doing that or anything, but still, we had 
all the, we had to destroy all of the the Spanish films because they had their own foreign section. Those yep. all got destroyed and into the dumpster. It's <laughs> nobody wanted those. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we had to destroy an entire store and um, including things that were to buy, like um, games and stuff that they had, like the the CNET uh, DVD games. We actually had to like open the container, snap the disc in half or put it through the shredder, rip the boards and then throw those away as well. Um, candy we had Jesus. to cut open and then dump dump out and then throw those away. It was it was nuts. We saw VHS. Uh, for sale, not for rental, but it was like box sets or whatever, and we had to destroy those too. I don't, I wasn't there to destroy those. I don't know who did those, but I did a field destroy pull of Blair Witch Project Two on VHS, and I, I, uh, I'm on camera. We have the camera feed. I'm thinking someone still has it somewhere because we took the tape. Um, I elbow dropped a stack of them off of the top of the CSR pit and then took a hammer and just started beating the shit out of them in the middle of the store. Wow. It may have been, it may have been at the end of a very long inventory and we were all pretty strung out, but <laughs> that was funny. That, that goes down in history. Remember that time Chipman totally went, um, what do you say? Totally went casino on a stack of Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, that night. Or would that be office space now? Oh yeah, it would. Yes. Yeah. Damn TPS reports. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so Pittsburgh, I've I've yeah. been to Pittsburgh once. Where where was the store? Was it in old Old Town or in the main area? So Pittsburgh, this is Pittsburgh, California. Oh, see, there I go, not knowing. I'm like, oh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, I should thinking. clarify that. Yeah, so I'm in no. California. Ah, I'm an hour. I'm gonna hour. leave that. I'm gonna leave that flub in there. I know you're in California <laughs> now, but yeah, um, I'm an hour inland from San Francisco, uh, with oh, no cool. traffic. <laughs> with I've been traffic, to San Francisco. Okay, good. Okay, so uh, I, I'm close to there. So that that's a hey today. Do you wanna you wanna go to the city and go to the zoo or go you know to the Japanese tea gardens or something? We can do that because we're an hour away. Um, for the so weekends me, during during the week, think- there's traffic. Let me, th- oh, I know the, tra- Jesus, I remember the traffic. Cause we, we tried to go from Palo Alto to, oh yeah. Was that, yeah, that was the time we were in San Francisco. Cause Palo Alto is near San Fran, right? And LA yes. is near um, the other place, Lompoc. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. I'm just getting my <laughs> work sends me to a lot of places. <laughs> I'm six hours away from LA. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. So you are, you are further inland than, cause Palo Alto is north, but still on the coast, right? Yes. Um, yeah, that's actually right near, yeah, it's near us too. Oh, right, um, cool. So right Antioch, the city I'm in right now is part of the Bay. So we have, we're part of the Dang. water that connects to San Francisco. Um, there you go. And so is Pittsburgh. So it, cause we have a mountain on one side of us and in the Bay on the other. And then the city's kind of like all in the straight line connecting. We're not like LA where it's like a giant grid of cities it's a huge open space so i i was at atlantic plaza they shut it down and i got transferred to bailey road which is in pittsburgh as well it's just it's a huge city and so i ended up working there for the remainder of my time and that's where like i experienced um 1408 and all those other movies because when i was at atlantic plaza i was still training i was still new and so i don't remember a lot of stuff from that store (laughs) 
That's right. So were you at a corporate or a franchise store or do you not know? Um, you know, I, I'm pretty, it's, it, I'm pretty sure it was corporate. Um, we had a district manager unless. Yeah. Then it was corporate. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, had, we had a district cause we used to have competitions for like upselling, uh, trading passes or yep. the exclusive memberships. I'm trying to remember <clears throat> what that was. Like you get, you build up points and you get free rentals. Rewards. Yeah, the rewards program. So yeah. we had contests um, in our whole district. Whoever sells the most um, gets this prize, but they also get the laptop from their store. And this was right. Oh, towards... sweet. Yeah. So I'm like, sweet. That fat laptop right there that we always have problems with um, will be mine. And so I, and this was when I was. <laughs> was it in e-machines? Oh, it... man, my heart. <laughs> no, it was, it was a laptop. It was just a thick one. It wasn't, it was an older laptop. And I was I was really good at upselling because I'm a, I'm an extrovert and so I talk to everybody. And yes. at this time I was only working Monday nights. And only working Monday nights, I came in third place in my entire district. I came in Holy first shit. in my store. Yeah, I came in first place in my store, third in my district. The two people that won the computers in the other two stores were assistant store managers, and they're there all the time. So I lost to two people who work full time. That's amazing. So, um, since it was a corporate store, did you have, by the time you were there, because around Mm -hmm. 2000, 2001, they hit us hard with this. Did they have very strict, like, alphabetical rules? Like, well, you know, if you have a bay that you put, like, you know, um, uh, Armageddon on or Transformers on, you know, if, if that, you know, you can have T's and S's mixed in on the regular shelves. But you better not have a full bay that splits the S's if it's in the T, you know, even though it made sense, right? They they used to get on us so hard for that. As I recall, yes, the wall was strict with alphabetical, but the middle section, eh, a lot of times it was hard to fill because you'd have sometimes more movies than what could fit. And so you'd have to have some of them like bookended versus laying flat. And so you'd have bookend, flat, bookend, flat. But if some were rented out, you'd kind of spread them out. And so sometimes alphabetical order didn't work. Because if you had a big name title, you'd want that one facing out versus a smaller title, which you could yes. just bookend. Yes. Or if you had something you wanted to get focus on, you know, like a little or known thing that no one saw. You're like, oh, yes. it's cover box. It'll catch some eyes. <laughs> yeah. So our, our middle section was kind of loose, but kind of. So if it was like a movie that started with A. You'd want instead of going like ABC, be like AA, AB, AC. It's okay for them to kind of mix around, but you wouldn't do a movie that started with the letter A and the second letter was a, a Z, and you'd put it next to the AA right. movie. Like it right, would exactly. be generally alphabetical. Now, did you? You know, you were only there one day a week, but did you have a good rapport with the people you worked with? Like, did you guys go out oh, yeah. outside of work? Um, I actually I dated a girl from there cool. uh, a couple times we went on a date a couple times um no uh we we talk but they were a lot younger than me so a lot of the people who worked there were like this is my first job ever and i'm like oh i work for the county i've been there for seven years this is my 10th job i've had in my life and like and that, i realized that one time when i went to work i just worked eight hours at the county i spent two hours writing my book and then i came to blockbuster and she's like oh my god i just worked eight hours 
I'm like, oh, so did I. And then I spent two writing and I'm here to work another five. Like, what? Yeah. Ooh, eight hours. Which is funny because now at the job I have now, I work 12 hour shifts. And so eight's like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. The, it, it's funny how quickly you realize that those times really don't mean anything. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh... Yeah. It does to them because they have things to do. They have friends to go oh, hang yeah. out with. I have bills, you know, I got rent and this is making me pay rent or electricity. Well, and it's also the, the, the reason these, these podcasts became so fun to me is because it's something I can do that is kind of, it, it's something I can do. I can make a little money on it, but it's, it's forcing me to have something I do. That's not all the other stuff I do. Right. Like yeah. It's, yeah. it's, I'm not in it, Cause I, I used to consult for what I do for the day job mm-hmm. and there was nothing worse than having multiple bosses, right? Where you got a boss in the day job and then I have someone else that's waiting on me for stuff I'm doing for them outside and I'm counting hours and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'll, let me see if I can, this podcast thing, my brother helped me make a Patreon for it. Let me see if I can help build that. Cause now this is forcing me to take a one hour lunch break. And sit down and have a nice conversation with someone, and it, it actually better[s] my day, <laughs> you know. Good, yeah. It's a it's the hobbies that keep us going. So exactly. So speaking of that, you know, we, I want to keep yeah. talking about Blockbuster, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the other stuff that you do um, and have done. So okay, if that's if that's a good place to start, sure. or just make sure you get to that at some point, because I want to make sure uh, the world and I get to know more about you. <laughs> okay, well. So I started going to Disneyland in 2001 and that's when I got my first pass and I was like, Disneyland is awesome. And around 2006, I started learning fun facts about Disneyland and I wanted to uh, put it down on a list so that I could take them with me and share them with people in line because I like talking to people. And my list got really long and this was 2006. So 2007 is when I started at Blockbuster. So at my previous job, I would just stay over and use the computer to write on a thumb drive on a word document it, to expand my my book i was just adding information to it and then i would go to blockbuster and then i'd go home go to bed and start the day all over so at in 2010 i decided to have my book actually published into a book because it was just printed out sheets of paper and then people like you should write about the fast passes and you should write about food and so I was like, you know, I should just add more sections to it than just fun facts. And in uh, October 2010, my first book came out uh, with, uh, let's see, 220 pages. And it had a thousand fun facts in it about Disneyland and some Disney movies. And it's called Discovering the Magic Kingdom, an unofficial Disneyland vacation guide. And so awesome. Yeah. And that that was just months after I left Blockbuster. And it was I was super excited when I got it. I got pictures of me standing next to my stack of books. And it was just it was exciting. We even went to Disneyland to celebrate the publishing of it with my parents. And I haven't been with them since I was a kid. So Aww. yeah, that we even took my grandma. It was exciting. <laughs> so now question because yeah. keep going, of course, but is this a book I can still get? Oh yeah. So my first edition, <clears throat> you can still get it, but in 2017, I released my second edition, and that one's way better. And cool. <laughs> it, my, so my second one, I started writing in December 2010. And what I did was I took my Word document, and I just 
from the first one and just started adding to it. And then, oh, this attraction was taken out. So then I would delete stuff and I would delete things that um, I didn't see were – they were no longer valid. And so I would remove them from the book. And then I was interviewed on the Sweep Spot podcast, which is a podcast uh, by – Two guys who used to work at Disneyland as custodians, so they were Disneyland sweepers. And oh, so they, cool. Yeah, so they started the sweep spot, and between them, they have got like 24 years of experience at Disneyland working there. And so they tell stories. They have people on who are cast members who tell stories, and it's an exciting podcast to listen to. And then they came out with their book called Cleaning the Kingdom. They actually have two of them now. But I, I got interviewed on their podcast in 2016. Uh, toward the end of it and then i got an email from them like hey do you want to share our booth at D- the d23 expo i don't oh. know if you know do you know what that is uh-huh okay <laughs> so <laughs> yeah huge three day long disney convention put on by disney people are paying 250 dollars for a three-day ticket to go to those um they had a hundred thousand people go uh that last year but i was like yeah sure i want to I'll, I'll share a booth with you Oh, shoot, I need to have my new book done because I've been kind of writing in it on and off for the past six years. I need to I need to get this done. So for seven months, I'd come home from work. I'd sit down and I would just write. And I wrote one third of the book in the last seven months. And my book ended up being 700 pages with over 3,700 fun facts in it. It's huge. Uh, I had problems with my publisher. I fired the publisher. I got a new publisher. Uh, oh, shoot, these books aren't going to be here on time. I ordered another 100 copies of my first book from my first publisher, so I'd have something to take with me. My new publisher came through with the book and had them next day shipped to my friend's house in, in uh, Anaheim. So, hey. So, um, I say your dog's dog, excited about it. No, She's that's ex- awesome. Yeah. So, the what happened was the truck with my three pallets of books on its way from Canada broke down and I'm sitting at my house waiting for my books to arrive to leave for Disneyland slash the, the Disney expo. And they weren't coming. They weren't coming. And they're like, um, it broke down. It won't be able to be there till Tuesday. I'm like, that's after everything. So I said, I have to go and I have to head down there. And my publisher got a hold of the printer and they next day shipped 150 copies to my friend's house and I was at the convention for two hours on the first day. I left to go to her house to get them off her porch and then went back to the convention. I had to sneak them in because once you once it starts, you're not allowed to come and go with stuff. So I basically had my dolly with three boxes on it and I just like walked straight. Like I pretended like I knew where I was going. It's yep. a million square feet. It had 100,000 people visit it that weekend. It's a huge facility. And I made it, and I had this lady meet me there who was waiting, got my first first copy of the book, had first pictures taken with it. They started calling it the Disney Bible because it's so big. It can stand up on its own. It doesn't even need bookends. As a paperback, it stands up on its own. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. And so this book, so my first one was primarily Disney Park attractions, so Disneyland and California Adventure, and then there's a little Disney movie section. This book's about split, so it's Disneyland, California Adventure, and then Disney movies. And so if you like movies, this would be a great book for that. Um, If you like Disneyland attractions, California attractions would be great for that. The whole front half of the book is um, 
uh, how to save money, you know, tips and tricks for people who don't go all the time traveling with special needs kids or uh, infants or if you're pregnant, you know, different things. I interviewed people for this stuff because I've never been pregnant and had to go to Disney. Right. I've never, I don't have any kids yet and I've never had to take kids. So I, again, would talk to somebody what it's like to go with children and to write that section. And it was fun. I mean, it was a, I, I like writing. I, I still write articles for uh, websites like Disney Scoop or Theme Parkology. They have a magazine out. So I actually get published every, a couple times a year. Um, I do recording, so it's like a podcast, but they call it radio shows, and I'll talk about an attraction with its fun facts, and it's on their website, uh, themeparkology.com, to listen to. Uh, right now, they're revamping the website and organizing, so they're, they may not be accessible right now, but like I did Jungle Cruise and uh, Haunted Mansion, stuff like that for people to listen to, but I still write like all the time. I am working on a new set of books. Uh, it's... Um, three volume set and it's just disney movies and each book's going to have a section for marvel um lucas uh, pixar disney princesses disney animation and live action disney and this is so it, far up my alley uh, yeah. so I, i've been i've been kind of sitting here with just a mouth agape like fanboying over this this whole time because me me and my wife need this book <laughs> this is what i'm getting at Perfect. please send the link so i can include it when i share this podcast okay. out there to I'll the world too um, keep going, keep going. Okay. So I'm really excited about this new trilogy because each book is going to be different. So there were similarities between my first edition, second edition of my Parks books because it, the second one was an expansion of the first one. So you don't need the first one anymore. But with this one, each book is going to be completely different. The intro to the sections will be the same, but the actual fun facts themselves will be different. So if you get volume two, it'll be different from volume one. And... Each book will also have its own special section that isn't in the other book. So, like, book one is going to have the Jim Henson movies. And, oh. yeah, book two is going to have oh. Studio Ghibli, if you're a Studio Ghibli oh. fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, and then book three is going to have uh, the straight-to-VHS releases. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. home release videos. I say VHS only because they went to DVD for the last couple but they were all VHS before that. Did, I think you, know, Bambi did you know Mulan mm-hmm. was the first Disney film to be released on DVD? Yes, it's in my book. Yeah, I figured. I just That's like the only fun fact that I know off the top of my head right now. <laughs> I, had, I had dinner with the, the director of Mulan um, two years ago. It's, um, well, oh, Tony Bancroft. I was trying to blame yeah. his name. So Tony Bancroft is the director. Um, we have MouseCon up here in Concord, which is in from San Francisco, and he was one of the guests there. And the night before, a lot of the people who are the guests of the show or like me where I have my book there, we go out to dinner. And so he was there along with um, Bob Gurr, the Imagineer who made the Doombug, uh-huh. Honorail, the Autopia cars. I mean, the saying is if Bob Gurr made it, it's in the or if it's in the park and moves, Bob Gurr made it So because he's an engineer. And um, we had dinner with him, and then uh, Tinkerbell was there. So Margaret Carey, who was oh, the live, so cool, yeah, the live action model for Tinkerbell from 1953, uh, she was there too. And we ate at the restaurant my wife works at. So every all of the servers who were there were coming up to her like, "Hey, who are all these people you're eating with?" She's like, "Oh, that's Tinkerbell over there. That's the director yeah. of Mulan." Well, I mean, he didn't no just no big direct- deal. Yeah, no big deal. He didn't just direct Mulan 
So he was the animator for Iago, Cogsworth, Kronk, Pumbaa. So like he has a and his his identical twin brother Tom Bancroft was the animator of Mushu. Uh, yep. So yeah, they work on films together. I listened to their podcast. Um, the I think it's the Bancroft brothers. Um, but they're they're great to to listen to. But anyway, yeah, we had dinner with them for that's my connection to move on. <laughs> I'm uh, looking so forward you... to the new the new live action coming out. I oh, keep having yeah. it. It's not a remake. This is a retelling of the original source material of Hua Mulan, the poem, which is thousands of years old. So this is a different take of it. No, there's no Mushu. No, there's no singing. That was Disney's animated take of it from 1998. Yeah, I'm so, I'm really psyched about the new Milan. It looks awesome. It I totally. Did. But that's so me in movie. <laughs> so. No, 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 no. Keith, this is this is great. This this is the whole point of the show, right? It's not just yeah. like you're you have a connection to movies. You have a connection to geekdom. Um, you know, and that's blockbuster is just a piece of it. And what I find really cool. Um, what I wanted to ask you said you used to host a podcast. Yeah, I was a on. co-host. A co-host of um. The Magic Behind the Ears podcast, which those episodes can be heard on themeparkology.com as well. Cool. Because it cool. was them. Uh, they have one episode up right now, um, which was when we interviewed Susan Egan, who was the voice of uh, Meg from Hercules. Uh, yep. She was also the first Belle on Broadway. Um, and she did voice work in a couple of Studio Ghibli films as well, including Spirited Away and Porco Rosso. And she was the singing voice of Angel, the dog from Lady and the Tramp 2. Wow, man, dude. So you you um, doubled down on your love for this stuff. Your, your connections you've gotten through that are amazing, right? Oh, like, here's even more. It, <laughs> it's an honor. No, it, it's an <laughs> honor to have you on here because I'm like, man, he's making time for me? Crap. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I, when I, I was writing my book at Blockbuster, so I tell people about it, and then like, a year ago, I ran into somebody, and they're like, hey, how's it going? I was like, hey, I actually recognize this person. Did you ever finish your book? I I did. Um, I actually have two out now, and that's just cool that he remembered that after all of these years, almost a decade of not seeing him, and he still remembered me writing a book. So it was, that was cool. <laughs> I can't wait to get your – I need to send Eric Vespi. Um, he's – I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he uh, – he was a critic that used to write for Ain't It Cool News. Um, he was one of the big, you know, early doldrums of the internet movie critics. And he's off on his own, but still a pretty big name. You know, had his name on, you know, like posters for movies and stuff. And I actually had him on the show a couple times um, on my my other show. And he is a crazy Disney Parks um, nut, um, particularly the Haunted Mansion ride um, of all iterations. And he um, he does a yearly holiday gift guide where he sticks books for sale on it is one of the big things and always pushes hard the Disney Park stuff um, because of his love for that. So I'm going to have to point him to your book. Yes. Well, <laughs> and he might also like the fact that my forward from my book was I have even sold your book before. But. Oh, maybe. I, I, I mean, there's my because my publisher sells them besides myself. So they are on right. Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, right, best exactly. thing to do is get it from me for those of you who are listening because I sell it for cheaper and I sign that, it. That's why I want your link. I yes, want to give okay. you a link. Out, but I'm no sorry you were saying. You were saying. <laughs> um, so the cool thing about my book is my forward was written by Imagineer Rolly Crump, who Jesus. worked on the Haunted Mansion. 
that's how he became popular with Disney was working on a mansion. He was working on the um, uh, Museum of the Weird. Originally, they didn't know what they were going to call it. So he was just making all these weird things that were going to be in this mansion that was originally going to be a walkthrough attraction until after they had the um, World's Fair. And they're like, you know what? We should do these uh, Omnimover system and put it in the Haunted Mansion. And then they were going to be called Doom Buggies, which wasn't the official name of them. Somebody just called it that, and they started. They just continually called that. It that wasn't even its name. So, uh, made by Bobger. So they after that, they're like, you know what? A lot of these gags won't work with people moving past them because originally it was going to be okay. Stand here in this room. These things happen. Okay, go down the hall. Go into the next room. These things happen. So you could see a scene. It doesn't happen that way now. So a lot of his stuff got cut out. He said only about a quarter of his ideas actually ended up in the mansion. But when he showed all of his stuff to, to Walt Disney, Walt's like, oh, I don't even know what we're going to do with this. And he left the meeting. And when Raleigh came in the next day, Walt was sitting at his desk in the same clothes he wore the day before. He's like, and this is, this is Raleigh's words. He said, Walt said, you son of a bitch. I couldn't sleep at all last night. Because he was thinking about all this weird stuff that he had created. So he's like, you know what? We should do a thing like a museum of the weird and all this stuff will be on display. And it was going to be a spillover room. So when you get you leave the mansion, you go through this room and you can kind of like browse at things. Nowadays, it, everything empties into a gift shop. But yep. back then it was going to empty into this museum of the weird. But that ended up not happening. So a lot of his stuff got cut. But you can still think, see things in there like the faces that are like on the chair or some of the um, the things that are all on the walls. There's faces in everything, which is what he originally was doing. Uh, when you exit the Doom Buggies, there are these torches that are being held up by like arms coming out of the wall. That was his design from the movie Beauty and the Beast from I think it was like 1934. It was an old black and white movie that he had watched. And he got the idea to do them from that. Yep. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of stuff, though, including the, the wallpaper. The famous wallpaper was originally designed by him, and it was a bat plant. So it was this plant that had what looked like a faces in it, but then it started moving, and then they were bats that would fly away. And again, this is something they couldn't do because you were moving. And so that design was reworked by uh, Mark Davis, and uh, the animator of Tinkerbell. And he did it for how we know it today, and that's the purple wallpaper um but yeah Rolly wrote my forward he also did uh the enchanted tiki room did a lot of sculpts for that he was the sculptor of the tiki gods in the pre-boarding show for that the pre-show <laughs> it was actually his first time to sculpt as well uh he went to blaine gibson the sculptor and said i need these designs sculpted and blaine's like i'm too busy i can't do them Oh, I don't know how to sculpt. He's like, here, let me show you real quick. So he showed them how to work with clay. Let me show you real quick. <laughs> yeah, and so then Rolly sculpted the Tiki Gods for his first time sculpting. He he would roll his cart out into the parking lot at the studio to sculpt outside because it was warmer out there and easier to work with the, the clay because it was wax-based. I thought that was neat. Uh, Blaine Gibson's the one who sculpted all the Pirates of the Caribbean faces, the Haunted Mansion faces, the partner statues that's in the middle of the park. That was done by Blaine Gibson. That's awesome. And my other uh, forward, I have two forwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rolly's a pretty funny guy, too, um, if you ever get a chance to talk to him. He tells Joe, he's like, he was the youngest Imagineer at the time he was there. So he kind of got pushed to the side by all the, all the other Imagineers. There are guys that were older than him. So he's still alive today. 
and while well, most of them have passed, Bob Gurr is still alive. He's 96 or 7. But they're they're like the only two left of the original Imagineers. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my second forward was written by... Oh, aside from working on the Tiki Room and Mansion, he worked on um, It's a Small World with Mary yes. Blair. So he, he originally did that. Oh, and he did the... Um, uh, sail... Uh, wait... Set uh, shoot, what's it called? This it was the it wasn't a statue. It was a it was the Seven Winds uh art sculpture at the World's Fair. Dang, I'm trying to blank out the the name of it. But he designed that because he liked windmills and little yep. propellers and stuff. So he built that thing, which the rumor has it it got cut up and dumped in the ocean after after the World's Fair was done. Um, I oh. even asked him about that. It's like, yeah, that's what I heard too. But anyway, um, my second floor was written by Imagineer uh, Terry Hardin. And she it worked in Imagineering in, I think she started in 85 or 86. And she actually got Blaine Gibson's old desk. And so when he, Blaine Gibson left, he left all of these uh, pictures and his notes and stuff at his workstation. And so... She didn't get any work when she started working there for a while, so she just went through all of his stuff and learned a ton of stuff. So she calls him her mentor and because she learned from all of his stuff that he had left at his desk. But she worked at Disneyland Paris. She did the Dragon's Lair. So if you ever go to Disneyland Paris, it's a dragon blow. That whole design, that was all her. Um, oh, wow. She, America, let's see, for... It, it, a lot of the stuff was made for the East Coast, but also made it to California, like Captain EO. Um, up at yep. Vision 3D. Um, for Florida, she worked on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain. Uh, um, I I got to ride on Big Thunder Mountain the weekend it opened, and I ooh, wasn't ooh. a roll. I was young. I wasn't yeah. a roller coaster. That ride scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so she did the um, Br'er Fox uh, original sculpts, and then what they do is they mold it, and then they put animatronics in it, and then fur and stuff like that. Yeah. And when you're on the logs and you see Br'er Rabbit on the front of the log, that was sculpted by her. Um, let's see what else. Uh, she's been in tons of movies. She was in Ghostbusters. Uh, she was the face to Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man because she was a puppeteer. Um, she was a librarian in the beginning because that was a puppet, and she was the demon dog that was in a refrigerator. Um, wow. Let's see what else. She designed costumes for Dune. Uh -huh. um, she worked on Indian in the Cupboard. She actually was the Indian. Um, so any shot that wasn't of the actor up close from far away, and they show like them standing on a desk or whatever, that was a puppet. But then they they changed it after they filmed everything. And the only scene that was left in there that she did was when the boy walks past his dresser and the Indian's on it and turns. And that's nice. it. So it was a stick puppet. So there was a stick and then wires. You pull the wires and then he would do different movements from below because he was only a couple inches tall. Yeah. And all of her stuff got cut. She worked on both uh, Flintstone movies. Um, uh, see, Men in Black 1 and 2. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else she did. I wrote her biography for her. I should remember this stuff. We... One of my experiences Skyping was my six hour and 25 minute conversation with her <laughs> about all this my stuff. That she did. Yeah, she's she's done tons of stuff in movies. Oh, um, uh, Jungle to Jungle. Did you see that movie? Yes, I did. When Tim Allen shoots the blow dart at the cat 
and the cat gets knocked out. So yep. she made made the cat. <laughs> wow, that movie was quite a while ago. That was yes. what 93, 94? Yeah. Um, Mar- Maybe like 97. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's because the stuff that she does, uh, movies have gotten away from props and puppets yeah. and, and stuff. So a lot of their work isn't really needed anymore. Monkey Bone with Brendan Monkey Fraser. Monkey Bone. Yeah, she was the cow that was um, selling the uh, three balls for a dollar yep. when he first goes there. Um, she also did the voice of that of the cow too. Um, let's see what else. There was one other one I was going to say. Oh, uh, Mars Attacks. So yes. she, the Dove of Peace, the one that got blown up. That was her. Yep. Course. The Dove um, of Peace. Yeah, she worked on tons of stuff for like Hong Kong, uh, Tokyo, D- Disney. Um, so for Star Tours in Tokyo, they have a video where you see Admiral Akbar talking to the the guests in the queue. She made the puppet mm-hmm. Admiral Akbar. Nice. Um, yes, it's tons of stuff, and it's funny because every time I talk to her, or we go hang out, or we have dinner, or whatever, she ends up talking about stuff that she forgot to tell me previous times that I talked to her. So it's like. Terry, you never told me that you made the cl- fat clown suit for John Leguizamo and Spawn. What? <gasps> I know. How have I not known this? <laughs> and you know that, and my so being the exact right age for Spawn when Spawn yeah. came out, I loved that movie when it first came out, and I loved the comic. It's not a very good movie, but holy yeah. crap! Is the costume and puppetry work in that movie amazing? <laughs> yes. Ex- Exactly. Or um, uh, who else? Do you know who uh, Gallagher is? You know, the guy who smashed oh, the watermelons. Oh, oh yeah. She made his muscle suit that he, the first one that he wore, where he wore this big, out, you know, huge, poofy, muscly arms and chest. It was totally fake on the outside of his body. She made him that. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, so, I can't so find I, any pictures. I, I have a question. Have you ever gotten a chance, be, you know, riding these things and going to parks and stuff to see a ride or go on a ride with the um, the Imagineering shut off? I like to say with like the lights on. And ha- have you ever got a chance to do that? Um, let's see. One that I, uh, it's happened on Mr. Toad twice where I've walked off um, Indiana Jones. It broke down for 15 minutes. The lights came on, but we no, sat like, in the but- car. Have you have you ever gotten like gone and like had them go? Hey, you know it's oh, after hours. Oh yeah. no, that would be super awesome. Um, I do want to do that sometime. That would be oh, cool. I I highly recommend it. So they they definitely do it because I um with with the engineering background I have um mm-hmm. in college we used to go to a convention called IMAC, which is a modal analysis. It's basically things that vibrate convention, and um. It was sponsored by a Belgian beer company that would do a hospitality night. And so one year they did, or two years in a row, they did the hospitality night at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. And what they did one of the years we went is they said, okay, we're, because they couldn't open the whole park, they kept a couple of rides open. And they said, okay, for those rides, what we're going to do, because you're all engineers, is you're going to get in, you're going to go on the ride. And then we're going to let you, we're going to take you behind the scenes of the ride and like, you're going to see the underbelly of it. And then we're going to let you ride it again with all of the lights on and all of the like props shut off. So you can see how it really works. Wow. And 
it was the coolest damn thing. So they took us on the Spider-Man ride at Universal and did this. And the Spider-Man yeah. ride is a is a Doom buggy style ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't realize, if you've been on it, it's yes. the 3D, 3D. So you wear 3D glasses and they, they do an incredibly good job of making you feel like you've left the ground and gone flying in the air, but you haven't. The thing is on a 12-foot high armature in order to pull this off. So we got to go under and see like this 12 foot high armature and see what happens when the 3d lights are turned off. And it was just unbelievable. And we got to see it for that. And for the, um, uh, um, Poseidon ride that they have, which is a much older one. And they have a lot of really cool effects in that too. that are very practical, but, um, the next year that I didn't go, they took them to the Imagineer workshop. Mm -hmm. And I was super bummed that I didn't get to go to that. Now, that's the cool one. I mean, so here's the thing with Disney. A lot of their Imagineers, um, the last time I heard they had 2,200 Imagineers on staff, but they were doing Star uh, Galaxy's Edge then. So they have a lot of people working when they have projects, but when projects are done, they don't need to pay 2,200 people to sit around or yeah. start working on the next project. So they're contract workers, and um, they can go to any other job. And what happened was Disney World would be done, and then Universal Studios is like, hey, Imagineers, we'll hire you. Come work for us. And so they brought them down there. And so if you've ever been to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which is extremely awesome, um, it, it's very Disney feeling when you walk into it. You're like, this is immersive. This is yes, just like is. Disneyland. It's because Disney Imagineers were working for Universal when that stuff was being made. Um, because I don't know if you know this, but originally Disney was offered – uh, Harry Potter to put in the yes, parks. Yes, they were. And they blew it. And so they're like, let's get Avatar. People like that movie. So <laughs> that's what, what they I put in Pandora. What, what has always blown my mind is how Disney now owns Marvel, but Universal still gets to have the Marvel theme park. It's yeah, all well, very only on that side, But it's only on that side of the Mississippi. That's yes. what the, the contract is. Until it runs out. And then Universal is going to have to retheme that whole part of their park, which is um, so weird. Imagine yeah. a rethemed Islands of Adventure; it's going to be very strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you have Disney Plus right now, and you're like, "Hey, why isn't uh, Ralph breaks the internet on here until December of 2021 or 2020? Like, why do I have to wait over a year to see Ralph breaks the internet? It's because they have a contract with Netflix. Yes, so they do. When contracts end, is when Disney is going to be taking all their stuff back. And so like speaking of ironic contracts, yeah, um, this is something that I just heard about recently. So Netflix has been trying to buy Paramount Pictures Mm -hmm. and that would be a very, very big deal because Paramount used to be owned by Viacom. And because of that, we're responsible for even without the Paramount name on them, about half of the entertainment made in the world, like Ted Turner owned half and Viacom owned the other half. And this is how it worked. And Netflix buying Paramount is going to be a really big deal because, or at least to me, out of irony, because a Viacom owned Blockbuster, who also owned Paramount. So Blockbuster got all the Paramount movies and everything else Viacom owned on a really, really good deal, which is how they got so much of stuff. Yeah. Um, and now Netflix is going to buy Paramount and Blockbuster passed on buying Netflix. So it's all a very strange irony. <laughs> Blockbuster totally blew it by passing on Netflix. Yes, they um, did. 
But I agree with, um, I forgot who you were talking to, your assessment of what would have happened if they had purchased yeah. it. Yeah. Like, the progression of Netflix original content probably wouldn't have happened, or at least not in the way it yep. has. Um, but Blockbuster tried to, you know, copy them and do the Blockbuster mailers. And you could do, you know, it's just like Netflix, but Blockbuster. I don't know if you ever yes. did that. Did you do that? I did it. Okay, I did it. Yep. Did did were you at the stores when they allowed people to return them to the stores? Yep. Say you return your movie to the store, you get a free rental, and we scan it to the computer now as being received. Okay, you guys are th- giving out lots of free movies, so I don't know how they were going to be able to keep that working model by doing that, but it didn't last very long, obviously, because they closed. Uh, but what we would do in the store is we'd check in their movies. And then we would open it to see what kind of movie it was. Oh my gosh, I've wanted to see this. I would borrow it for the night and then take it back and actually put it in the bin. Well, because the movies that we had would only get picked up like once a week. We'd have a bin full of movies that were mailers. So it's not like it wasn't going to go anywhere. So we would take it home and watch it and then take it back. (laughs) And that's if it was a movie that we didn't have in the store. That's, that's so weird. Yeah. It, um, it was near the end of my time there, but it's so weird. You know, w- were you there when they started selling a lot more stuff that wasn't rental or movie purchase based? Like around my end is when they started selling DVD players and TVs and shirts. Oh, no, we never. Oh, it that. was so it didn't make it. So I, I went into one around I'm like 2013, 2014 when they started like closing. Mm-hmm. Um, the local stores here where which I I used to work in and hadn't been there forever. It was like walking into a Best Buy. It's like where where's your rentals? Oh, they're back there somewhere. But look at these cool t-shirts we have. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this isn't a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because you it, movies are I found the website um half.com. It was an eBay sister site. So if you had an yep. eBay account, you could buy from there. I would yep. go on there and type in Blu-ray and then do sort cheapest to you know most expensive and they would list blu-rays 75 cents and you just work your way down the list they gradually get more and more expensive up to like two and three dollars and then get all the matrixes and then all the yeah. lord of the rings for a dollar fifty so it's like i just rather buy it yeah exactly it. and even now even now it seems like a better deal sometimes to just own a movie yeah um well we have streaming now so yeah. now i have netflix i I, I have 9,800 movies in my collection at home on DVD. Yeah. Yes. I have more than double the amount my whole store had. And I, I, ease of use. If I'm around somewhere and I want to watch a movie, I'll just go on Netflix. Or it'll recommend – like it recommended Murder at 1600 with Wesley Snipes. Awesome movie. Oh, man. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I have it on DVD. I, yeah. I haven't put it in though. I'm going to watch it. So Netflix, I hit play and watched it. And then it recommends other movies. And so that's I find that it's a good way to to see movies that you haven't seen in a long time or maybe something that you know of. Because a lot of movies when I was at Blockbuster, I learned about them from looking at their covers. I'd see what main actors were in them and what the cover looked like. So if somebody says, have you seen this movie? And they'll say a title. I'm like, I don't know. And I look it up. Oh, I remember seeing that cover. Yeah, I, I have heard of it. But I recognize the look of it, not for the under the title so i got to learn about a lot of movies just from seeing the covers or reading the backs of them before putting them away or whatever and it's true it's true and and i said to somebody you just it's hard to do that digitally exactly 
you have to have pictures. Otherwise, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. You can't just have, you know, written words. I found a really cool thing. I don't know if you like I used to be completely against and I'm still fully against. I like owning the physical copy, too. But I used to be completely against digital copies of movies because Mm -hmm. I'm like and for the main reason of if that production company just decides they don't want you to have that movie anymore, it just goes away. Right. It's yes. it's the it's the Nintendo problem and the Netflix problem and the everything else. But I do I am very much for now owning a movie and also having the digital copy, which they come with now. Yeah. Because because they all talk to each other. Almost every digital movie outlet out there now, like if I I hooked mine up to my Comcast and told it I, I use movies anywhere or voodoo or whatever. And now if I turn my Comcast box on, the digital library is just there. Like, yeah, here you go. All the movies you own right here. (laughs) And then if I have it on my phone, they're all there. And then if I have it, it's so it's it's made it a lot easier to go back and watch the older stuff you have that you kind of forget about. But I like having play. You just click play and it's right there. And it also I, you know, I I hate, you know, cable, but the, the Comcast box is really cool because if I search for a movie and I own it, it'll find mine and go, here you go. And I'm like, oh, thanks, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. My thing with the digital stuff is like I was having them on my computer, but it's like the chances of my computer crashing or my house burning down, the the computer's going to crash before I would lose a house. So having physical copies sitting around in in binders is just so much more practical in the long run than it is keeping digital copies. But movies are just so they're they're everywhere now. So it's like, oh, uh, you know, my copy of Goonies is broken. Okay, well, I just buy another one. <laughs> right, which which wasn't the case back in the day, especially with VHS, when it took until like the mid '90s before movies were even guaranteed to be available on VHS. Exactly. Right? Well, and it's things like people. I'm part of tons of Disney groups, and people are like, hey. When is this movie going to come out of the vault? This is before Disney+. Plus. When is Sleeping Beauty going to come out of the vault? I don't have it in my collection. People are like, oh, it's supposed to come out in 2020 or whatever. And I'm like, eBay, there's tons of copies on there. You can get one for $6 right now. Have you yeah. guys never heard of eBay? Are you just going to Disney.com to buy your movies? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I need this now, and I don't want to look for it. Yeah, it's just weird that people are selling all their old stuff on eBay. You can buy movies there. Oh man, I wish Disney would release song of the South on DVD. Go to eBay. They have copies of it there for 10 bucks. That's where I got yeah, mine. It's the UK. It's there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it happens every time a movie gets posted. Oh, I wish Susie Q was on Disney plus because I haven't seen it. It's never been released on DVD, but somebody recorded it from TV and burned it on a DVD and you can get it on eBay. Like, yeah, that's that's how you get them. That's how you get movies that you can't find anymore. Uh, that's so funny. I was going to say, it yeah. sounds like uh, because I, because I do have to go back to work and I don't want to keep you forever. It sounds like you're somebody I should have on again because <laughs> yes. I really like talking to you. Yes, but um, I, I wanted I wanted to get us to a closing thought and, and food for thought for you next time. Are you surrounded or do you meet through these Disney groups? A lot of people that seem to have both a blockbuster and a Disney connection. Um. Out of like the 12 people that I still converse with that I used to work with, either worked for Disney legitimately before or after Blockbuster, huh. like and, and have similarly great 
tellings of like a connection with both companies that you do. And I don't know. And again, they come from all different walks of life. Like it's not just because, oh, I lived in California or I lived in Orlando. It's like, oh no, like I went from Disney to Blockbuster or vice versa. And it's just a weird connection. I haven't seen that, but also where I am is six hours away from Disneyland or seven with yeah. traffic. So people who were up here at my stores um, wouldn't have made that jump because it's so far away versus yeah, if true. you were like in L.A. and you worked at Blockbuster and also Disney. Um, it's just weird being in like north of Boston. I, you know, three of my managers were one of them came from working in, in Disney and went to moved up here and then started Blockbuster. And a few of them moved to Florida working with Blockbuster and then went from Blockbuster to getting jobs at at Disney world. And it's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I, um, Oh, one more thing that I'm tied to. Yeah. 2015. I got an email from a woman named Gina rock and she said, hi, I'm Gina rock. And I was Tinkerbell in Disneyland. And I want to know how you know about me. And what happened was I posted a blog that said all the flying Tinkerbells of Disneyland. So tiny Klein was the first one. She was 71 years old when she first started flying in 1961 from the castle or across the castle from the Matterhorn for the fireworks. And I went through the four that I knew of, because after that, it gets kind of like, well, who's Tinkerbell now? And you don't know. Well, she wanted to know how I knew how she was Tinkerbell. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just read it somewhere. But my fun fact only had her name in it. It didn't have any details about it. It just said Gina Rock. So she said, I want you to write an article about what I'm doing now. Okay. And so I interviewed her. She was Tinkerbell for 21 and a half years from 1983 to 2005. Whoa. So, she, yeah, she flew. Uh, so, Fantasyland was closed for a while. They refurbished everything and rebuilt everything. And she was Tinkerbell when they first reopened Fantasyland here in Disneyland. And then she flew until 2005. And then she started working with companies that contracted with FEMA. And so she would go to natural disasters to assess property damage and stuff like that. And her first one was Katrina. And that's when she got out of, that's when she retired her wings. Well, I wrote this article. It was published in the Disneyana newsletter. People liked it. And then like that following summer, she's, she contacted me again and she's like, I want you to be my manager. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And she's like, well, just, you know, get, get me on podcasts and sell my autographs and stuff. So, I'm now Tink- I'm now Tinkerbell's manager. I run her website. I created her website and I run it for her. I sell her autographs. I get her on podcasts. We talk on the phone all the time. Um, she's all over the place because she goes to whatever state has a mudslide or a tornado or a flood. That's just what she does now. And so she's mostly on the East Coast. So when they had all that flooding like two years ago, they, she was out there and she's all over. She's been to like 33 states. But yeah, I'm her manager now of Tinkerbell. Well, Tinkerbell's manager. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I I don't know if you saw the names of my other podcasts, but I think that Tinkerbell would be a great interview for the one I run with my wife called Creating Geeks, which yeah. is all about sharing things from our childhood with our kids. And so, off topic and off record for later, if if um if she has any interest in talking to me and my wife, we'd love to have her. <laughs> she does definitely. Um, I will tell her about it because she's oh, she wants to get on another one. She's like, get me on another podcast. Oh, that'd be great. But anyway, um, yes. dude, thank you so much. Do you do you have anything else you want to leave with? Because I'm I'm getting blown up on my phone right now to go back sure. and okay. whatever mess I'm dealing last, with. <laughs> last thing, then I left. So I left my blockbuster. I'll close on blockbuster info. 
I left Blockbuster January 2010, and like four months later, it was a Chase Bank. <laughs> and then all the Blockbusters in my area that same year were gone. There was no Blockbusters for me to rent to unless I drove a long way away, which is very wow. sad. Yeah, and it was, and then it was gone from here. I mean, unless I want to go to Bend, Oregon. <laughs> yes, which which I have to go to. I have I have an open invite to come there and work a shift. Yeah, which so I mean, think would be his amazing. Party there. Yes, he did. Yes. Oh man, that was so cool. <laughs> All no, right. No, they. Th- th- thank you. And I was going to say, um, you know, I have the gumball machine from the blockbuster I used to work in. So that that's a cool little keepsake. Yeah. Oh, I heard you talk about that. We had one too. Yeah. But people could win free rentals with the gumball. Yep. So. All right, man. Again, well. For the interview, if anybody wants to see a copy of my book or the other stuff that I do, I also make fantasy pins, Disney pins for people to collect. My website is DisneyGuy.org. Um, that's the guy because I'm DisneyGuy.org. Dude, Joshua, this has been an absolute blast, and we're going to have to get you back on again soon because I could talk to you for hours. Um, thank you for making it a Talkbuster night or day or whenever you're listening to this. Please be kind, rewind, and thank you again to Shamim Dana for um, hooking the two of us up. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.